Hello there! It's Friday, which means it's time once again for the best movie podcast ever. The only movie podcast to offer objective and hyperbole-free discussion of every movie in the known universe. I am your host, the podcaster with no name, Conrad. With me as always... Oh wait, hold on, I need to remember this line now because it's from a movie I saw a day ago. Memory is the boat that sails against its current and he is the oarsman. It's Anthony James. There we go. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you wait for a train. Oh no, hang on. Memory is a boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going on a journey. Um, yeah. That's like You're literally the, on a journey. the only line I remembered from this movie, to be honest, uh, which we'll get into a bit later. Anthony, how are you mm-hmm. doing? I'm actually doing all right, to be honest with you. I just just started back uh, at the old work today, so I'm no longer a layabout the summer. Mm. So the t- teacher in the summer layabout. To be honest with you, I wasn't a layabout. I've mentioned before I was doing my master's essay, but for the purposes of this joke, I was a layabout, and now I'm back, Conrad. Yeah, well, I mean, you're a teacher, so you know you only uh, to quote the the great Kevin Nash, you only enjoy working nine months out of the year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've always loved that Kevin Nash, for some reason, enjoys making fun of teachers. I don't understand. I would imagine most most wrestlers do, aren't they? All like you know. Yeah, they uh, they work like four hundred. Yes, yeah, they're, they're all. Yeah, this is this is like the big thing with why like Undertaker never did like social media um, when he was when he was an active wrestler, and then um, when he retired, he started being you know on lots of interviews and stuff, and everyone was yeah. like, oh, that's right, he's like a. 60 year old dude from texas uh, <laughs> at least glenn jacobs kane has the wit to keep his local you know yeah, he's exactly. the mayor of a local little town and he he doesn't really speak about stuff outside that no. although donnie starts link it below if he has i'd love to see it <laughs> yeah like let me let let's like, someone give a brief review of how glenn jacobs has done as a mayor of a small town um <laughs> Not that we, I would do any better, to be honest. I'd be less racist. I'll say that much. Uh, <laughs> this week on the Best Movie Podcast Ever, we are going to spend a little while talking about Sonny Chiba, who sadly passed away uh, this last week. We're going to talk about Jennifer Hudson's opinion of the Cats movie, which I don't actually know if you've seen, but I definitely have. I've got a good story about seeing it, which we'll get into um, yeah, I haven't seen it. I would say the word I the word is avoided it. Okay, well, I didn't for reasons that will become obvious, and we'll have a chat about that in a moment. And uh, a non a non English language back to the feature this week. That's all the clues I'm giving you. And obviously, uh, Lisa. I say obviously. I haven't actually said what the name of the film is yet. Lisa Joy is dipping her toes into neo noir. That's all I'm going to say for the time being. Um, so I reckon let's talk about some gosh darn movies. Let's do it. movies we're here to talk about them first off to quote true romance which i don't think you've seen um but it's a good it's a good quote anyway uh he ain't so much a good guy as he's just a bad motherfucker that's sonny chiba uh (laughs) that we're talking about here he's christian slater's character's favorite martial artist in the movie true romance i wouldn't say he's my favorite martial artist but he's in the top top three Top three? Oh, yeah, maybe. Like, it, it's a hard. It's a hard. Um... What about Jar? Is he above Jar? He's above Jar. Yeah, I, I think it's a hard. Li- like Jackie Chan's definitely in my top three, and I would probably Joe Taslim's very good. We'll get into it. But so anyway, like Sonny Chiba, star of lots and lots of very very good martial arts movies uh, for the last. <clears throat> I mean, it's been. Gosh, he probably started in the 60s, I think. So it's been like 50 years of him just appearing in stuff that appears very grindhousey to to like modern audiences, but which was actually pretty influential at the time it was made. Uh, he sadly passed away 
I, th- I believe I don't want to I don't want to say something that's incorrect here, but I believe I read it was something to do with COVID. But either way, very sad. He passed away okay. in his eighties. Um, now we've just had. I'm not going to put you on blast here, Anthony. This is not the intention of this, but I have spent most of this week being very angry at the internet with all the articles that were like star of kill bill and i was like fuck off he was in so many things apart from kill bill that's not the thing he's most famous for but i will concede, tokyo drift probably the number yeah, one or, or tokyo drift for that matter <laughs> but obviously you know i think a lot of western audiences will probably introduce to him as uh, hattori hanzo the master swordsman in kill bill which to be fair was a very a very fun role it was a cameo for, for him but i think he did a you know he did a really good job um had a lot of um put a lot of personality into the role and as you've as you've said he was the boss i believe was it kamata the name of the boss in tokyo drift i can't can't remember i think think it's named like kamata but i mean that was again one of those roles where like he he sort of turns up two-thirds of the way through the movie and it was very much for me like a holy shit that's sunny chiba moment because (laughs) up until that point it's it's the other dude who's who's kind of like the you know the the day to day bad guy in Tokyo Drift, the one who's you don't you don't see Sunny Chiba get behind the wheel of uh, of a Toyota in that movie, um, or or whatever they're driving. <laughs> they're driving all sorts of things. Let's be honest. Yeah, that's true. Um, but um, but yeah, so he's very famous for those. He he was probably if you're kind of if you're gonna say the thing that he is most famous for among people who actually know him it would be uh the movie the street fighter and its sequels which is a very good movie and well worth checking out um was he was he just in martial arts stuff or was he also in samurai stuff he was in some period things so he actually played uh funnily enough he played the character hattori hanzo earlier in his career um Mm. in a tv period show called shadow warriors which i've never actually seen but he played when he was playing hattori hanzo that time he played them as a true truer to life version of the character in that in that he was a ninja whereas like Hattori Hanzo in um in Kill Bill I don't think it's ever implied that he's a ninja which is what the real Hattori Hanzo if he did just exist, a swordsman was. just a swordsman just a damn good swordsman mm-hmm. um but I mean Sonny Chiba his influence extends beyond his movies he's he inspired lots of characters in in popular media famously characters like uh ryu in street fighter mm-hmm. um obviously you know the name of the game street fighter comes from his his movies as well a massively influential um actor and i i really heartily recommend that anyone who hasn't uh, caught his stuff go and find it because he's he was a brilliant martial artist and um and a, and a great a great leading man really up there with with your bruce lee's and your jackie chan's as far as like the real the massive stars of um of martial arts films go Really interesting to me. Uh, he's one of the, like if you look at uh, the old western stars from uh, American cinema, mm. and you look back in like the seventies and the sixties, they did like five films a year or something. Yeah, and he's the same here. I'm looking at his. I haven't seen much of his stuff. I'm going to be honest with you, but I'm looking at his things here, and it was absolutely pro- prolific. He was doing like eight films a year yeah. in the seventies. Yeah, well, I mean, it does help when. No, I'm not going to cast aspersions about him because because a lot of those movies are very good. But it does help when all the movies you're making are basically the same film, as it was true with the westerns. You know, like <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. you know, Yul Brynner would finish filming one western and he literally wouldn't change his costume. He'd just rock up onto the next set and be, <laughs> yeah. and be like, "I'm ready." And you know, John Wayne yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. God, like John Wayne, the only time he ever changed his costume was to play a problematic Genghis Khan. Um, yeah which the less said of that the better um but yes yeah, so sonny chiba his stuff is actually quite hard to find certainly in the uk uh, there is i believe uh sister of street fighter is available on arrow which i would i was looking for to be like oh i should get all the street fighter movies but hopefully 
maybe posthumously someone will pick up the rights to it and do a do a, a, a lovely blu-ray pressing of those because uh, more people should see them but um yeah so sunny shiba mm. worth awesome. checking his stuff out not no. awesome not awesome that he passed away that's very very sad but i think it's it's cool that he has so much stuff to remember you know yeah absolutely um and now going from someone that i very much like and whose films i love to jennifer hudson talking about how she likes cats unironically um now you oh my god i really thought this was gonna go the other way <laughs> no she likes cats she... It, this is how bad the film was it makes news that one of the cast members likes mm. it yeah so jennifer hudson uh, <laughs> was in I, I can't actually remember why she was doing interviews this week or what, why she wanted to conjure up the the presumably painful memory of starring in the movie cats but she said uh it's unfortunate that it was misunderstood now I've got some issues with that. I'm, I want to start this off by saying, just just to be clear, you, you never saw this movie, Anthony. No, uh, we, we're right in saying that. I went to see this movie. This is a sign of how lonely and pathetic I, my life is at times. I got home for the holidays in 20, 2019, I think this came out. Christmas twenty nineteen. I think I think so. Yes. So I got I got home for the holidays, and my family do a gathering with two other families on Christmas Eve. Uh, but it's mainly just my parents and the parents of these other two families getting drunk and having snacks. And they invited me to come, and I was like, "No, that sounds awful. Like I don't want to spend my Christmas <laughs> Eve with a bunch of people in their sixties getting drunk." Uh, so <laughs> I opted instead to go to the cinema by myself on Christmas Eve to watch the movie Cats. There were oh two other people in the cinema at the time that I went, and even that was too many for the experience that I had. <laughs> I don't understand what Jennifer Hudson believes any of us poor souls who saw this movie misunderstood about James Corden's insufferable turn as, I believe his character's name is Buster for Jones. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, James Corden, awful in everything, possibly the worst performance I've ever seen from him, and that is saying something. He has that got, is saying something. He, he, he has a Hall of Fame-worthy career in terms of shit performances. He really does. Yeah, Raspberry-worthy. Yeah, well, sure, yeah. Razzies. Razzie-worthy. Um, or, or indeed, Ian McKellen making me feel very uncomfortable a human-sized cat version of ian mckellen just licking milk from a giant saucer <laughs> the man is a knight and, and i just i didn't enjoy that at all or uh, jason derulo's rum tum tugger uh yeah. <laughs> remind, rolling back the years to remind everyone who he is that i don't I, it's not a it's not a complicated movie um it is a nightmarish movie and one that i i never hope to see again well, here's just hoping that Idris Elba's second turn as a cuddly young friend in uh, Sonic 2 will be better than uh, his turn in this. Uh, <laughs> I'd actually I'm... forgotten. I'd, I'd, I'd uh, bleached that from my memory that, that Idris Elba was in that movie, to be honest. And now it's back. Now you've put that image of Idris Elba playing the bad guy in my head. Um. Okay, so... The guy who made this film, what's his name? Uh, Tom Ho Tom Hooper. Tom right? Hooper, yeah, coming Tom Hooper hot made off of Les uh, the Les yeah Les, Les Mis and the the King's Speech. That was what he was coming off. Yeah, of. so he did the King's Speech. Did then he did Les Mis, and obviously Les Mis is a musical. Okay, mm. but let's just think about this. Les Mis, especially the way he did it, he did it like he he let the uh, actors sing on set yep. live. He let them <laughs> dictate the pace of the music. Yep. He also uh, did it in a way which was very realistic, very gritty, 
way close up to people's faces. In that film, it's literally, I think 90% of the film is just a close up on people's faces. A lot they, of it, he did yeah. That, and then he did that film. It was okay. Nowhere near, like it's, it was like maybe a five out of six out of 10 compared to the actual stage show. But Hollywood or, you know, the UK uh, version was just like, you know what, Tom Hooper, you're the musicals guy now. You showed us enough in Les Mis that you could do Cats. Yeah. And I'm just looking at Cats thinking, this is a man who just thought he was the king of musicals and just l- let it go to his head. And it's just, what has he done, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a staggeringly bad movie. And it's not even actually, like, it starts off really weirdly. But, I, I mean, it's important to kind of separate out the weirdness of the Cats story itself from what Tom Hooper did with it. And I think there is definitely, you know, characters being called Buster for Jones. You know, that's just ridiculous. And, 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 and we can all laugh at that. But, but it, <laughs> like, the actual kind of, like, just storytelling is so bad in this movie. You know, they're just, like, they... they it's messy and it's paced poorly and none of the characters are likable and it's unclear who you whose side you're really really supposed to be on and it's yeah just it's it's so ill-conceived from start to finish and i didn't appreciate jennifer hudson bringing up the memories of this to be honest memory the thing is, <laughs> yeah. I, I do not <clears throat> That's actually on point with our main uh, main feature today on the podcast. The, mm. the fact that memory's haunting us on this one, but I, I would say that uh, I, I I personally think that a lot of I haven't been to Cats the, the live show, and I wouldn't because I am uh, death deathly afraid of audience interaction in anything. The idea of a cat coming up and rubbing itself on me, I I really really can't even handle the idea of that. Yeah. Um, but so if I went, I'd sit right in the middle. You know what I mean? But but. I think that the, the, the sort of uncomfortableness of that and sort of people are not really paying attention to what's going on. They're just listening to some of the songs. I don't think that you can translate that to a film. Do you know what I mean? No, I don't think so either. And and to be honest, I, I, I have a weird relationship with musicals. I think this is maybe just me being very, very kind of like edgy and grumpy when I was 14. But my grandma at the time took me to watch uh, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Mm. And there's a bit at the end where Joseph basically says, get up on your feet and clap your hands and gets everyone, you know, gets everyone involved. <laughs> and me with black nail varnish on wearing probably some kind of like Limp Biscuit or Slipknot hoodie was the only person who refused to do it. I, I, I sat down and did not clap um i would have loved you there in your black nail varnish black slipknot hoodie i would have loved if like you're like get up you know and you just went bring me my (laughs) (laughs) that was the moment where i realized i was a musical theater kid after all like i'd been i'd been misled down this path of metal and that was that was actually what i wanted out of life i mean i I did eventually come to that realization it was just about 20 years later um but yes so that's cats don't go and see it don't listen to jennifer hudson it's a bad movie please don't watch it um (laughs) we're we're going to rapidly shift gears now into something that is good and you should watch or indeed listen to, as is the case with it. Or I guess you could be watching. Lots of people watch this podcast, but you you mm-hmm. might be listening as well. And that is the exciting game show segment. It's your favorite and mine. It is, once again, back to the feature. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Anthony, yes. how you fit? You, you got a zero pointer. Yeah, last technically, week. I've technically got two zero pointers in Back to the Future in a row. Yes, Back to the Future, Back to the Future. <clears throat> um, so we'll see how it goes. I, I'm, I'm not filled with confidence. The fact that this is a foreign language yeah. film. Yeah, I've, so I've, I've stitched you up a little bit with this one. To be honest, I had this one earmarked as a, 
I'll be very surprised if I'm, I'll be surprised if anyone gets this to be honest because it, it you'll know by the second clue how many people saw this movie <laughs> okay that's okay, all okay. I'm gonna say um, well, <clears throat> the thing is about it Conrad I will say to you is that even if it's one that I definitely won't get I like I like the process of guessing but also I think that our uh, it's also be- it's sometimes it's better than I don't get it because it means that the listeners can actually do the game the whole way through. Yes, you know? that's true as well. Yeah, because otherwise we ruin the game for them. In many ways, it's selfish of you to yeah. get it right. Um, for those of you who have not listened to this before, this is the exciting game show segment where I have selected a feature film from 25 years ago today. Anthony will hear five clues and have five opportunities to guess the name of the film. Uh, each clue he hears will lower his score by one. And we, of course always encourage you to play along at home. Anthony, are you ready for Back to the Future? Born ready. <laughs> I was born ready. What is that from? <laughs> I, I always say uh, that and I don't know what it's a quote from. Uh, <laughs> I don't. In that voice, I don't know. Born, but, but the idea of being born ready is just a saying that I know. Maybe it's from a film in particular where it started, but... Uh, it's, probably, it's probably one of those things that's just a popular saying, but I've only heard it in one place because I'm sheltered. Okay, oh, here we yeah. go. Clue the first. This is considered by many to be the first Danish language gangster film. Okay, Danish. Hmm. Hmm. Not going to get it. I don't believe. <laughs> I've seen a few Danish TV series, hmm. but I've not. I've not ever seen a Danish film. Um. You have. I think you have. Have I? Well, well, you correct me when I we'll we'll come back to that on the third clue. Is all okay, I'll okay. say for now. Oh yeah, maybe I have. Uh, okay, um, I, I'm going to say a TV show that I know, uh, The Killing. <laughs> no, it is not The Killing. That is a television show, <laughs> not the right medium. But a good guess, nonetheless. You're in the right country, I think. I can't actually remember what, what The Killing is. I seem to remember that as being Danish originally, yes. I think um, it might be The Bridge that's a joint Swedish and Danish production. Yeah, because um, in the American remake, it's in Washington State adjoining Canada and America. Oh, okay. So. Very clever. Mm-hmm. Okay, second clue. Despite making only $4,440 at the box office due to its obscurity and limited release, this was considered an enormous critical success. Four thousand. Yep. Dollars. That should tell you how many people saw this movie in the cinema. It had a very, well, very limited no, no more than five hundred. Is what the answer is there? <laughs> yeah. I think it's right. one of those films that probably had like five showings nationwide, and and was was more something that people caught on on you know film festivals and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <clears throat> like it only had a limited release. Um, am I going to know the name of this when you reveal it? Like, you might, it's a, it's a very <laughs> It's been remade, has it? it? I don't think it's been remade. It, it is. I think it's quite a famous movie. It's one of those movies that pops up in a lot of kind of critics' top five hundred movies of all time, kind of thing. Right. Okay. 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 Well, <laughs> I'm don't know it yet. So okay, uh, let's go for Swedish film. Uh, They're all the same. <laughs> They're all the same, aren't they? That's why. Go the dragon tattoo. Nice. Is that Swedish? I've never seen that, to be honest. The original is, I think. Okay. No, it is not The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. But you're in the right neck of the woods, at the very least, which is which is all we can ask for at this point. <laughs> Clue the third. 
this is the directorial debut for Nicholas Vinding Refn, uh, who also directed Drive, Bronson, and the movie I think you've seen, which I, I would class as a Danish movie, uh, Valhalla Rising. As soon as you said that, as soon as you said Wind and Refn, I was going to guess Valhalla Rising. It is not. Um, it's not though any of those three films. I'll tell you that right now. This is far too early. Ninety-six is far too early, but I'm just going to guess. Let the right one in. It's not a bad. I mean, it's not a bad guess. It might be Swedish, is it? Uh, that is Swedish. Um, hmm. But but it's you know you. you I think that was in two thousands at some point. Yeah, that yeah. was that was early two thousands. I think it was like two thousand three. I think that movie came out. Yeah. Okay. Fourth clue. We're getting into the pressure cooker situation now, where the points yeah. are the points are getting low. I don't think this is going to help you, but we'll see. It's, this started off as a five-minute short before being turned into a feature-length story about low-level drug dealers in Copenhagen. Whenever I originally saw Drive, I went and looked up, as I usually do when I see a film I kind of like, the director. Yeah. And I remember he at that time he only had like four or five things on his IMDb. Yeah. So it's the name of this film is definitely going to stick out to me when you say it now. Having said that, I just don't know it. Yep. Um, Copenhagen 45, ran- random number. <laughs> um, imagine if it was Copenhagen <laughs> and then a different number. You were so close. Uh... Um, it is not Copenhagen 45, but someone should make that movie. <laughs> Nicholas, get on it. Um, final clue. We'll see if it helps. I, I don't think you've seen it, but, but, um, but we'll see. This was also the feature debut for Mads Mikkelsen, a role he would return to for one of the two sequels to this movie. Hmm. Okay, I think I know it, but I don't know the name of it. This is, is this the movie where it's about a school um, and it's about, like, students? Ah, there's something. Uh, maybe it's a different film I'm thinking of. I'm trying to think what you're thinking of. That might be Lahaine you're thinking of there, which is like a French, a French movie about school kids who find a gun. That might be it. Yeah, but it's okay, a very but... a very similar time and very similar kind of style of movie, actually. Mads Mikkelsen has played a teacher in something Danish before. I, I think yeah. he has. Well, I mean, he played a he played a Danish teacher in another round uh, out this year. Oh well, that maybe that's why it's in my mind. Yeah, <laughs> that's maybe why it's in my mind. Um, okay. Jeez, uh, I fucking I don't know. Equinox, pretty good, pretty good series. <laughs> it's not Equinox. It's a good guess. It's a good guess. And uh, you know, if you're listening at home, thinking that Anthony, he's an idiot. He doesn't know anything. Let Equinox me is Danish. It, it, yeah, Anthony's been he's been knocking around the right part of the world and the right time period. And this is a hard one. If I hadn't seen this, I would have no idea what this is. It is uh, the 1996 gritty crime drama Pusher about uh, drug dealers who. They basically get screwed over, a deal goes wrong, and they have to try and find the money to pay back the drug dealer. And it's, um, it's, it's, I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a Danish gangster film. It's, it is, it's very good, but, um, it's one of those movies that, if you've seen it, you probably like it, but very few people have actually seen it. I kind of feel at this stage, you, Conrad, you very much are trying to catch out the audience, not as well just me. Um, I do remember, I think maybe this, why this, I do remember actually this this film, I haven't seen it, but I do remember like sort of watching the trailer for it and thinking about watching it. And maybe the reason why it didn't stick in my mind is because it's it's an English name of the film. Maybe that's why it didn't stick in my mind. I'm, I'm, just, um, I'm just looking now because I, I want to see, hold on, where's my, where's my, where's my folder? 
This is this is happening live, folks. We're doing this live. <laughs> this is We're all staying in. So that's there, three zeros in a row for me. There were on this week in August. There were two movies that made over twenty million dollars. I went for the one that made four thousand four hundred and forty dollars. Right. Give give me one clue on each of the other ones. Oh, gee. Okay. Well, the first one is a sequel to the movie that Brandon Lee died on the set of. Oh my god, how can I not remember this? It was it was the The Crow? The Crow 2? It is the Crow well, the I Crow The Crow Returns? City of Angels is the name, oh, of, yeah. name of it. I don't know this other one. This other one's called First Kid, which made oh, twenty six okay. million dollars. I have no idea what that movie is. Well, I've got a bit of pride back with the crow, haven't I? Got a yeah, bit of pride. There back. you go. You've done well. No, I I didn't go for that because I was like, there's no way Anthony's seen the crow. Uh, like, I I I I rate your opinion on films too highly to to. I wouldn't have got. I haven't seen the crow to be honest with you, and I would and I would not have got the actual title of that properly. You know. Yeah. I would. I wouldn't have known. It would have been. I would have been like saying the crow returns. The crow. <laughs> yeah. Two, the crow. The squeakle. You know. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been great. We got. We got there eventually. Or, or we'd have just had a conversation about Sting. Um, yeah. <laughs> the the road not taken. But that. Is, I, I will mean, go. Hang on. Hang on. Let's have a conversation about Sting because okay. I've got something to say about that. <laughs> go on. St- Sting. What's the saying where you say like he he went back for seconds when he shouldn't have? It's like he he dipped the biscuit one too many times. I don't know. I'm making up my own saying. Yeah, here. that is not a real saying that you've just. Anyway, made up he there. dipped the biscuit one too many times. Yeah, Sting, because you can imagine, whenever he did. So Sting the wrestler. I'm sure a lot of people who aren't even wrestling fans remember Sting from the 90s, right? He had like a he had the crow makeup on. He took the gimmick of the crow from the. This film, is basically. just to be clear as well to anyone who has no clue. This isn't the bass player from the Police that we're talking about. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Uh, this is not that Sting. But this this Sting, he took the gimmick of the crow from that film, mm. right? And then he thought, oh my god, that worked. How did that work? That was amazing. And then after The Dark Knight came out, yeah, oh, this, he, yeah, attempt, okay, yeah. he attempted to take the gimmick of the Joker. <laughs> yeah. Because he thought he could do it twice, and he couldn't. Yeah, the, the, the Joker sting was <laughs> about as awkward as you would imagine a man in his 50s kind of putting on Joker makeup and essentially going, why so serious? <laughs> <laughs> it just, it didn't work. No one's ever been able to do that apart from Heath Ledger and... Sting, most of all, uh, yeah, wasn't a good look. There's nothing wrong with passion. Sometimes passion leads to good things, but sometimes it leads to M. Night Shyamalan's version of The Last Airbender, and sometimes it leads to Sting's version of The Joker. (laughs) Well, yes, that's still better than Jared Leto. Uh, yeah, that's true. Solidly above Jared Leto in the in the pantheon of Jokers. Someone linked me um a a uh model of um. Uh, what's his face? Yaquin. Y- uh, That's how I was about to pronounce that. Joaquin Phoenix's uh, Joker, but rather than a full-sized uh, hu- uh, human man, it's a baby. Um, and I was thinking about buying it, but I didn't do that yet. So, Leaf. We'll call him Leaf Phoenix. That's what he goes by. <coughs> is what is that? Is that is that his child's name? No, no, no. His name is is Leaf Phoenix. Is it? Because because all of his family are like there's River Phoenix. There's uh, Sky Phoenix, oh, maybe not Sky, but there's, uh, every one of other one one of his siblings are named after obviously Rivers passed away, but are named after like nature, nature, na- things in nature. Oh, okay. Whereas he was called Joaquin, so then in his family they call him Leaf. Oh, okay, I never knew that. There you go. I've learned something about the 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 Phoenix household there. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, okay. Well, I mean, speaking of Sting's vanity projects as he tries to recreate the Joker, um, we've got. I guess it's not really fair to call this a vanity project, but it is written and directed by the same person, which is about as close as a as we're going to get to a, <laughs> a, a segue into a vanity project. Um, 
for those of you who don't know, Anthony and I also do another another podcast uh, called the After Dark Podcast, where Anthony uh, takes me by the hand through uh, through a TV series that he's already seen. And at the moment, we're we're doing Westworld, and this it's it's as if it's as if by fate the Lisa Joy mm-hmm. has has made her feature debut as a director and as a writer um, uh, while we're doing Westworld. Um, mm-hmm. The movie that we are going to be talking about this week uh, is new in cinemas uh, as of this week, I think. Um, it is Reminiscence, the neo-noirish thriller from Lisa Joy. Um, Reminiscence. Reminiscence, yes. <laughs> so... I- no spoilers to begin with. We're not going to talk spoilers. We'll, we'll warn you when we start talking spoilers. The, the, although the first thing I am going to say is, could could bearing in mind that a certain character turns up within five minutes of this movie starting, could you tell that there was a Westworld connection in the casting in this one, Anthony? Uh, yes, I could. <laughs> Funny <laughs> yeah. enough. Uh, I don't think it's a spoiler to say Angela Serafian, like, uh, aka Clementine, turns up pretty early in this movie. And it's like, oh yeah, that's she's from Westworld as well. Uh yeah and and Tandy Wayne Newton as well. Well, obviously um, Tandy Wayne Newton, yeah, and and Ramin yeah, Jawadi yeah. uh, did the score, so it's sort of yeah. like it's a bit of a greatest hits of Westworld, really. Okay, so let me say this: basically, the setup is that they are in a sort of post climate, uh, post global warming future yes. where Miami is flooded. Uh, I don't want to say post-apocalyptic because it's not really that. I suppose it is. It's, it's of, like but... sort of semi-apocalyptic dystopia. It's, yeah, like things haven't gone completely fucked yet but they're well on the mm-hmm. way to being so yeah and Hugh Jackman uh, plays a character called Nick Bannister yep. and he is a dream seer or whatever you call him He people come and sit in a tank for him and he can look at their, their not dream sorry he can look at their memories basically yes. he can see the memories and, and um, this leads him down a path of getting to know this woman um, played by what's her name Rebecca Ferguson who Interestingly enough, Conrad, and I, I wanted to go into this a little later, but we've mentioned her now. What do you think about the casting of Rebecca Ferguson here? I, because she she obviously played opposite Hugh Jackman in The Greatest Showman as well. Yes. And this is the second film where Hugh Jackman is enamored with her singing in, an, in, in, a, in a scene at the beginning of their relationship. And I just thought to myself, there's two points on this relationship. And we'll get into the overall thing after this, but this is something that was on my mind. I don't want to forget to say it. This casting, if I want to give Lisa Joy real big props, like if I want, if I want to give her a real big credit here, I would. I, and I don't. I'm just going to preface this by saying these two points I do not believe are true. But if I was going <laughs> to give her the credit, I would say in in a in a film about memory, it it really works to have these two characters in in roles that are similar to what we've seen before. <laughs> that you know so the idea is like i was naturally remembering the greatest showman while watching this so it plays on memory Another... <laughs> it does that's true i don't know how yeah. many of i don't know what the kind of venn diagram crossover between the greatest showman and reminiscence is exactly but there's probably well, a couple at least there. me yeah it's it's least you're me. in the middle there yeah yeah i'm in the middle so but another, the second thing is now this is really going off the deep end All in right. terms of the casting choice Go right on. but i'll give it i'll give lisa joy this credit I'll see both math you know this is obviously really noir. It's like they took a film and just dunked it in a, like noir sauce. Yes, like that is, yeah. This this film is trying its hardest to be a noir, and that that reminded me of Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, right? Bogie mm-hmm. and Bacall, yep. from all their different uh, their their noirs from back in the day. And I thought to myself, well, they've cast two leading actors here, Rebecca Ferguson and Hugh uh, Jack Jackman. 
Jack Human, uh, who <laughs> who um, have uh, who have been in a film together before. Yes, and may- maybe they're trying to draw on this idea that they're the new Bogey and Bacall. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, there's definitely. I think it's it, there's a chemistry between them. I think that's that's definitely clear from the way they interact with each other. I, I also think Rebecca Ferguson is a is a fantastic actress, and I I really enjoy her in most stuff. And I think Hugh Jackman. I, Hugh Jackman is one of those actors who can rub me the wrong way sometimes because he's a little clean cut for my tastes but i think he, mm-hmm. he does a decent job here um also interesting talking about castings appear popping up from other movies cliff curtis and rebecca ferguson were both in doctor sleep as well so oh maybe this is all happening in a yeah. projection inside uh danny torrance's mind who knows uh <laughs> maybe. so okay so but I'd li- i think the first thing we really have to stop on here because it's one of the things that I think this movie does really well um, is the depiction of the world. You have mentioned it already, but I think this idea that the world, like global warming, has progressed to a point where everything's partially flooded and there are these kind of like temporary barriers up around the city of Miami, mm-hmm. or in fact, most kind of it's implied most coastal cities in America are in a similar state yeah. where they've got these like leaking barriers on the outside that are eventually going to fall in, and society around these these outskirts has fallen into disrepair, and uh, the rich have essentially formed these islands for themselves with these enormous trenches around them they're like land barons basically that have have snatched up all the all the prime real estate and don't have to suffer from the the effects of the flooding and um that that uh the global warming has caused the days to become so hot that everything now happens at night time um and mm-hmm. daytime is essentially for sleeping and it's a really i think Apart from one thing, which is really nitpicky of me, but I'm going to mention it because it stood out to me, and and uh, and I and I had to I, I had to kind of break myself out of thinking about it, but I, they're really committed to the bit of of, of the, well, they're really committed to this idea of of the world they've created, and I think mm. I'm going to mention the thing in a, in a second, but noir is all about expressionistic lighting, it's about shadow, a lot of things happen at night in film noir. Um, because that's that's just like it's atmospheric to do that Mm -hmm. um and uh and this movie doesn't do that because a lot of what is happening at night is actually happening during the daytime because because of this this kind of time switch they've done and in a way it reminded me and it's a movie i'm going to come back to again and again it reminded me of chinatown the 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 uh, roman polanski jack nicholson um neo-noir although that was a much earlier neo neo neo-noir in the the early 70s because a lot of that happens in the day as well um but i just i think the the way they the way they realize their world and the way they depict it is really striking to me and i i really resonated with me even though it's not I think would you would you say it's fair to say it's not really plot critical to anything the fact that the world is kind of all flooded doesn't really come up in any no. proper properly meaningful way it, do, it doesn't re- it doesn't really i know what you mean like maybe someone could tell us in the comments if it does i can't remember a time it does it does seem like it's just a cool setting yeah i think i think that is what it is but it is a really cool setting now the thing that i was going to bring up and you can tell me if i'm being a nitpicker here anthony but society has like let's just let's get the facts straight all right (laughs) society has changed to function mainly at night because in the day it's too hot for people to go out we're we're all agreed on that right Yeah, 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 yeah rebecca ferguson's character is a jazz singer who works in a bar so why is she singing in a bar at nighttime when everyone else would be at work that's the thing that really bugged me and you are 
exactly right. And as soon as that happened, I was like, you took this you took this conceit and you were like, nope, we're going to shoot everything at daytime because that's the nighttime of this movie. But they yeah. couldn't let go of the nighttime <laughs> jazz club sequence. They were like, we got to have it at night. And it was, I was just there like, what, she's singing in the jazz club in the middle of the day? Like, no one's going to be there. <laughs> Everyone's working. That is uh, that is brilliant, Conrad. Well done. That was Anthony level pedantic oh, crap. Like, I, you know. co- I couldn't let it go. The first half hour of the movie, I was just it was going through my head like, when are they going to explain why she's singing in the day? Like, it's that, that, unrelated. It should, it should be happening during the day, yeah, and and she should be, yeah, because you're everything exactly everything right. else everything she else was leaving work. She dropped her earring. She on her key, sorry. She was leaving work, which was at the end of the night. Yeah. To go home to sleep during the day. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't make any sense no, whatsoever. I, I I could not let that go. I was just like so and, if you want to be a frequenter of jazz clubs, you have to have no job. Yeah, you have to be unemployed, basically, to go to jazz <laughs> clubs. I, I I couldn't let it go. I was I was <laughs> I was all over that. Um so I mean I, that is me being very pedantic though. I'll hold my hand up and be like, most of most of their commitment to you know their altered chronology did make sense. Now, we're not. I don't think we're going to talk spoilers just yet, but I wanted to just mention this now, and I think we'll come back to it later. The plot of this movie, without getting into specifics of it, did you find it maybe a little overcomplicated for its own good? Um. I followed everything pretty well, to be honest with you. I didn't find it was it wasn't it wasn't a simple movie. I think they were trying to be very complicated. And I think maybe mm. that's why it appeared more complicated than it actually is, because they're trying like they're trying to make this like Inception. That's what I felt, you know. They're mm. trying to make this like you know even the way oh, Jesus, even the way Hugh Jackman's voiceover. Like I'm, oh, I swear voice, to God, don't get God, me started on that voiceover. That, I was I was laughing from the get-go it's like it's like parody level that voiceover it's just like (laughs) memories of beads on the necklace of time it's like all right okay i get it yeah it it also didn't fit like the score that was happening at the time no and like the tone like the tone of his voice was wasn't at the right pitch for what was happening in the in the score and i just really felt like it was almost as if like when they they turn on the microphone you could kind of hear the bit of noise coming in and then he starts talking (laughs) It uh, the, the voiceover to me reminded me of the theatrical release of Blade Runner, where it was oh, yes. added by the studio after the fact because they thought they thought that the film needed a bunch of exposition to make it make sense. And I'm not saying this movie would have made sense without it. I, I wasn't following it that closely. It was written like as, as a noir. They needed it. You know yeah, I mean? but it just it was really hammy that dialogue. And I, and I don't want to. I'll say this now because I'll come back to it later. I don't want to like hammer this film because there were some things about this movie that I did really like. Um, but but the the yeah the Hugh Jackman's narration was I I was like rolling my eyes every time it happened. Um, and and his I, accent his accent as well his American accent's passable. But when you put it front and center over like a, a lovely shots of a city or whatever mm. if you put it over the top of that and you need it to be something grand it is just not grand it's just not that no. it's just not he's not the guy to get for that you know no and, I, and I've, I've I've had like proper Bader Meinhof uh, complex for the expression purple prose this week so it's not something I'd ever come across before which is just me being ignorant apparently but it's basically an, an expression that means like overly ornate dialogue that kind of draws attention to itself and that is exactly what a lot of his dialogue in this film mm-hmm. is it's kind of these really really like drawn out metaphors that that don't need to be as don't need to be as uh, as kind of hmm. exaggerated as they are um and i think 
as I said, we'll, we'll come back to it once we get into spoilers, which I don't think is too far away. But what I what I meant really by the plot kind of being too complicated for its own good, I think, is that it's not that it's hard to follow. It's that I think the movie starts to trip itself up in tr- and has to like rush to explain certain things, particularly in its in its second and third act that it could have just done very well without and maybe spent a bit more time with with the few characters it actually needed to have to tell the story it wanted to tell um mm-hmm. which yeah we'll come back to when we get into spoilers was uh, in fact actually was there anything else that you really wanted to say in the non-spoilery stuff i think so this is uh, and this is strange because I, it is non-spoilery for reminiscence i think but it's 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 on the line of spoilery for westworld interestingly enough but okay. i think you know enough about westworld that it won't be spoilery for you um I, I honestly, having seen all of Westworld and where they go with it, um, and I think when you've seen the end of season three of Westworld, you'll think the same. Not not in any sort of exact story way, but just this film is very clear, and no one will ever convince me otherwise. This is the stuff that was left on the floor of the writer's room of Westworld. This This really, really felt to me like this was the world that they envisaged outside of Westworld mm. and maybe they I'm not going to tell you which which direction they go in or whether even they even leave the park but this really feels like they came up with an idea for a future and then they 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 decided not to use it and then so they made a film about it you know what I mean um yeah I think that's interesting because there's definite there are definitely similar themes um certainly I think the the memory machine um the 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 uh Hugh Jackman's character employs and that we see um is pretty widely used by the the DA's office and um mm-hmm. I can't actually remember the name but there's like some corporation with these like pods that offer the same kind of experience. Yeah, yeah. Um but but uh Lisa Joy does have a lot of fun with that memory machine and how she uses it narratively to kind of pull the rug out from under the audience uh numerous mm-hmm. times and it does remind me of what we've just seen in lots of Westworld, actually, with the, the the particularly with Bernard, like the him dipping in and out of dreams, um, and the, the way they structure those to kind of keep the audience guessing as to where they actually are. We do see a bit of that in this. It's not quite as well paced as as mm-hmm. it is in Westworld, I think, but it's still definitely there. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I, yeah, the world definitely seems like it would have fit into Westworld as well, the world outside of Westworld. Yeah, I think the world like, they did a good job of it, but I think like the actual the actual imagery of the world and, and, and like the concept of the world was great. I think it didn't really hold up if you go into like the level of world building that say Blade Runner did. Mm. I don't think they did, they didn't really go to the lengths that um, I would expect of a big budget Hollywood film in terms of the details and stuff. Um, I but I did like the world. I thought it looked nice. I, I enjoyed being in it. Um, I just think I just think there was a lot of issues, and I th- I think mm. I think that there without going into spoilers, I will I will talk about spoilers about this in a minute. But the way that it that all came to be in in the end, mm. and I've said this, oh, I, I, yeah. usually like, guys, when you listen to this podcast, you'll know that I am always uh, saying this, and maybe it's just my own fault the way I view films. But what actually eventually happened was signposted so obviously. Um, that I just, I, as soon as it happened, I burst out laughing. I was like, have we really just watched an hour where the solution is what I thought as soon as I saw that on the screen, you know? Yeah, I, and I think, well, we'll come to the the ending in a second. So I think we'll we'll probably say, unless there's anything else that you, you really want to get into, that we can start talking spoilers now. So if you haven't yet watched Reminiscence mm-hmm. or if you're, if you're planning on seeing it, skip forward to, to our final thoughts on this because uh, we're going to talk spoilers. So... 
I think the, the first thing I wanted to talk about with you is, is that their plot? All movies have them. This one's got one as well, but it's a bad one, I think, in the most for the most part. Mm-hmm. So when I mentioned the plot problems before, I'm just going to briefly run through run through the kind of the the, the bullet points of the plot um, as as they pertain to May, uh, Rebecca Ferguson's character. So May is coerced into helping a crooked cop steal memories from Nick of a mistress of a land baron who had a child with him because mm-hmm. the son of the baron wanted the the bastard son, the, the 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 child born out of wedlock with the mistress, killed to retain his inheritance. Then May saves the child, stashes them in a house off the coast somewhere that she knows from her drug addict days, yeah, and then sacrifices herself. And when it got to the, I'm going to say the final forty minutes of the movie, and it starts racing through this to explain what is. I mean, it's not complicated, but it is. There's a lot of points in that, and I was just mm-hmm. like. I'm going to go back to Chinatown again here. So the plot of Chinatown is essentially that 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 uh, Jack Nicholson's character is hired to find uh, the daughter of a, a very wealthy man uh, who is basically siphoning up all the water in California to his own land and is a real piece of shit. Um, and uh, it turns out that her relationship with him has soured, and uh, you know things go badly for everyone involved because it's a noir. And I was just like, why why have the son like why have the wife with the memory, the, the the mother with the memory issues. Why have, like, you can have the cookie cop or whatever, but I just, I feel like this movie would have been exactly the same movie if they just cut out all of that and was like, mm. the land baron is a bad guy who wants to get rid of a child born out of wedlock from an affair that's an embarrassment. And if you'd have done that, you, you could have actually spent some time getting a proper villain because I think that's something this movie was massively yeah. missing. There were, like, there's... John Huston, I can never remember how his name is pronounced, Huston or Houston in Chinatown is such a brilliant villain because it's simple. He's a he's a guy who wants to get this this girl back um, and it's implied that he's abusing her. In this, mm. we're really lacking a good villain until, really until Cliff Curtis shows up in the final half hour of the movie. Yeah, I, personally, the whole, Cliff Curtis did okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's not I'll, amazing. I'll always... Yeah, like I'll always remember him as uh, Tick Tick in 10,000 BC, of course. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, he'll always be beloved to me because of the film Whale Rider, let's be honest. But um, to be honest with you, like he, he did an okay job. I, I don't think it was necessary for him at all to be a crooked cop. Like what, that was nothing. Like that was nothing to that. Yeah. Um, he just had to be a heavy. Like that's all he had to be. I um, think they I, made him a cop so they could have that one line of exposition where they're like, let's go to New Orleans and find who this guy is in the database, which is just... It's not necessary. Yeah, it's it's maybe maybe as well because like noir, like the idea of a crooked cop. I could even see them just being like, "I've seen a noir with a crooked cop. <laughs> yeah. Let's put it in." We've got to um, yeah, got to have the crooked cop in there. That's an important trope to hit. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I I agree with you. Like even the idea of like the um the uh, inheritance being the main thing. That isn't that Inception as well. Like it really <laughs> felt like this this did this had this was like a great film doesn't show its references like it doesn't show its inspiration but it, it it sort of it takes on its inspiration and becomes its own thing mm. i couldn't see anything but what what was inspiring this film when yeah. i was watching it yeah I think um that's true. which which is an issue which obviously is a big issue um they of course wanted to do uh all sorts of things that were similar to westworld again like the idea of the woman repeating the same thing over and over again yeah. um the idea that uh what do you call him uh 
Hugh Jackman went in went into the 3D machine and pushed pushed away these bead things yeah. and uh, was like being there with it. So like there was cool imagery in the film, but I, I do agree with you. I personally am not a fan of a character being revealed to be this double crossing uh, uh, bad guy, and then it's all right because she doesn't want to kill a kid. It's like yeah. there's a line between. Uh, you know, there's like there's gray areas in terms of bad guys and stuff, you know. And she double crossed him, and and he didn't he didn't care. There was like there was like two minutes of the film where he like you know the will they won't they they won't you know there was like two minutes, <laughs> and then all of a sudden like he found out that she 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 was like oh my god he turned back to me. It's like what even even wrestling fans know you don't turn someone that many times. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? No, see, uh, see, I actually, I'm I'm a bit of a softy and. Even in my own noir, I don't mind a bit of sentimentality. And the, the scene at the end of this where uh, May is speaking to Nick through a conversation she is having with Cliff, Cliff Curtis's crooked cop, knowing that he will figure it out and find this memory and experience it, even though it's a little bit convenient, to be honest, I didn't mm-hmm. mind that too much. There is some stuff in the ending, though, that I really, really didn't like. Just before we get there, the, the one thing I... I wanted to focus on was uh, just to just to really hammer it home is that the inheritance thing the son doesn't have like a line until the end of the movie it's like how is this your villain he he doesn't do anything and and although i didn't like the white the 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 westworld-esque kind of subplot of the wife kind of repeating the same uh loop in the clock shop that was mm. one of the sadder and more emotional subplots in the movie i thought um I, I, one one other thing i did actually want to mention before we get into kind of the the ending of this was uh the scene where she goes to new Orleans, uh, where uh, nick goes to new orleans uh to meet uh saint joe did, what did you think of <laughs> daniel Wu's performance of that because i i kind of loved that guy <laughs> to be honest yeah that was actually one of those wh- that was like that was like if canto bite was gr- was a great part of the last jedi yeah like this was like a, a, another world of this film where for 10 minutes it was a different thing yeah it became an action uh, movie for like 10 yeah. minutes and there's and like loads of slow motion yeah yeah i think like that was that was really cool i liked that yeah i was all, like let's all it was make missing, this the movie all, now please yeah all it was missing that in the fish tank it should have been an octopus and it should have been grabbed onto his face oh. that would have that was that's, that's all that scene the was road missing. not taken then he sees brit marling um I uh, did you there was one other kind of gaff that I noticed. I normally don't notice these things at all, but clearly the Rebecca Ferguson singing in a jazz club in the middle of the day, i.e. at night in this had me on edge. When Tandy Way Newton, her character's name is Emily, when she runs in to save Nick in New Orleans, he gets in trouble with this gangster called Saint Joe. First mm-hmm. off, she has the most powerful double barreled shotgun in the world because when she fires it, <laughs> a man it turns into like a fucking Robert Rodriguez movie for a second. Like he flies literally like twenty feet across the room. Which <laughs> I shouldn't have to explain the physics of that to explain why it doesn't work. <laughs> but then as she's running into the room, she to- she she goes to like toss the sort of shotgun aside as she's drawing a pistol and there is an extra running literally right next to her and as she tosses it it just hits the extra extra in the face and then falls down to the floor oh and i God. could not stop laughing throughout the entire scene. you noticed that on the first watch i well, i noticed that in the cinema i was like she just hit that extra with the shock <laughs> it was great um that is fantastic i was i was fantastic. keyed in i was keyed into every little thing this movie was doing wrong by that point um, um i just want to say one, one thing conrad on. just uh, before we sort of properly talk about the, the ending maybe or like how, how, how we want to go um okay so 
the reason why I suppose I was reflecting there while you were speaking about the the turning on a dime because of the kid, right? Yeah. Like, so she, the, so May turned on a dime because she didn't want the kid to die. Yeah. I suppose why I didn't like it is because if the kid wasn't going to get killed, she never would have come back to Hugh Jackman again, right? Mm. Like so she was she that I okay I, I know that she originally tried to go there or whatever, but but I but I think. The thing that changed her mind about like the the crime or about like you know the what her the path she was on, properly properly changed her mind about just like saying fuck it, you know I'm not I'm not doing this anymore. Was the kid going to get killed? It had nothing to do with Hugh Jackman. I think you, what you would have needed to do was have like Hugh Jackman in peril. Um, I I I think that it makes sense for a human being not want to not want to have a child to die, but I just think that having that like for me, I put myself in Hugh Jackman's shoes. I wouldn't be all of a sudden okay with it. You know, I mean, I wouldn't be all of a sudden like, oh, that's fine. You know, that's that's all right then. Um, so I don't. I, that's that's what my issue. I, with, I do with, know with what was. you mean. I know what you mean. I, and I think the relationship between Nick and May relies a whole lot on the on the the uh, chemistry between Hugh Jackman and Rebecca Ferguson because there's not a lot on the page to really explain to you why. Hugh Jackman loves her as much as he does or why he's mm. willing to forgive the things that he does because what she does to him is horrible um and although there are you know there's some little hints as to it, it's funny Hugh Jackman's character talking about Westworld comparisons Hugh Jackman's character in this really reminded me of like your teddies in Westworld where it's just oh he's got this dark past where he was in the war and yeah and, and it's like are you ever gonna expand on that past to maybe explain why he feels or acts the way he does i was like nah don't worry about it it's not like it's not <laughs> yeah. important and and none of the fact you get none of that makes the the connection that those two characters have feel a little bit hollow i think i do i do agree with you there and, and then obviously the character turns that 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 come as, as part of that relationship feel equally hollow i think yeah well, I did turn to my wife. Uh, two la- two good laughs during the the film. Oh, great! Turned to Ema and I. First of all, I just randomly said uh, Jack Human. That got a laugh. Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> always uh, a banker. That one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I also uh, got a laugh whenever I can't remember exactly how I worded it, so I'm gonna screw it up now. But like, whenever like she didn't come back the first time or whatever, um, and I I just turned to, to Ema and I said, Jesus Christ, like. Jack, uh, Hugh, Hugh Jackman will uh, Hugh, Hugh Jackman is never enough <laughs> <laughs> it's a great gag a great gag well delivered I'm sure <laughs> and that should be a sign of how much you were enjoying this movie that you were making gags to your wife during the performance yeah 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 well I always do that anyway that's true have I, have, have I said that the number one gag in a movie I've ever heard before on the podcast before possibly not I, go on hit us I'm with not- it Okay, okay, okay. So I went to see a film called Official Secrets. Maybe I have actually said this before. I'm not sure. But I went to see a film called Official Secrets. Mm. And it's a Keira Knightley film, a true story about a woman who sort of basically did like an Edward Snowden, right? And she went to uh, court for it. And in the true story, eventually she gets let go, right? She gets like, she gets, I don't know what the name was, acquitted. Yeah. Acquitted, right? Uh, but there was a guy behind me. First of all, the guy behind me was like a really old man in his like seventies, right? Yeah. And he was obviously going to see it because it's like it's true history, you know. Um, but he also was laughing at certain characters just because they were speaking Arabic and stuff, you know. So oh, it, no. it, was a, it, it was a bit of a weird situation. Like I didn't have great <laughs> feelings towards this man. Yeah. But then he said one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. Go on. Uh, 
whenever the judge, there was a moment in the film where the judge is about to give his verdict, right? And all the evidence is, the score is booming, you know? It's like it's like getting ready for the judge to acquit her. And just before the judge speaks, there's silence in the cinema, and he just goes, free to go. <laughs> <laughs> I love people who do that. Like, they, they like, give advice to the actors. <laughs> yeah. I was watching Little Women in a, in a cinema like a couple of years ago, and uh, at the end of that movie, where um, I can't remember her name, but uh, Sister Ronan's character is offered like a shitty deal to give up her book, oh, and a woman yeah, yeah. sat in front of me, like you know, the, the the guy offers the shitty deal, and there's a pregnant pause, and the woman in front of me just said, "Don't you do it." And I was just like, <laughs> Come on, we're watching a movie. She's not listening. <laughs> That uh, is brilliant. It's great. like being in the living room with your mum. Yeah, that's like. exactly what it was like. It's like I was like watching a film with my mum. Okay, well, th- actually, funnily enough, um, I had an absolutely hammered man who hadn't paid for a ticket uh, come into the cinema during this film, so that probably uh, impacted my enjoyment of this <laughs> as well. Can you remember the experience? He was getting arrested afterwards, <laughs> so I'll say he will. <laughs> um <laughs> There's one thing that I wanted to discuss. I, I like before we before we move off of a reminiscence and, and give our give our verdicts. Noir needs okay. So I'm gonna be a bit I'm gonna be a bit prescriptive here, and I'm gonna be a bit dogmatic. Noir needs to have edges. The whole point mm. of noir as a genre is that things don't end well. They might end okay for some people, but generally speaking, it's a dark, dramatic genre. And the ending of this movie, and I like, I, I, you know, there are bits of the ending that I did like. I enjoyed the sentimentality of the way they kind of revisit Nick and May's relationship. But my God, is the ending of this movie toothless. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Where do you stand on, in voiceover, them implying that society fixes itself as a, a tossed off off screen resolution? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's never good. Like, like the idea of like, that you want your world to feel living and breathing uh so it's, it kind of reminds me you know how we talked about before about how star wars the original three were like it was like a huge universe you can imagine going anywhere yeah and then all of a sudden it's like the the uh the, the prequels just like narrow yeah, narrow way the focus down, way down it's like yeah. actually no it is just these 12 people who are special um so that's kind of like what that's like, you know? It's like you have this huge world where it's like, oh my God, I wonder what New York's like, yeah. you know? And then all of a sudden it's just like, and the world was fantastic yeah. again. That's, I mean, that's, that's, it's not why Blade Runner's good, but the events of Blade Runner change nothing in that society. It is still, a com- it, the, the, the world is the same before and after Rick Deckard finishes uh, retiring all those replicants. Mm-hmm. Yet in this, they couldn't, res- and I, I wonder if it was Lisa Joy, I wonder if it was maybe studio interference to try and make the, it have a happier ending, but they couldn't resist in voiceover saying, word of the land baron's crimes got out and soon the riots started. And it's just like, you don't have to fix society in the last five <laughs> minutes of your movie. It doesn't need to happen. It just, it really, it's really cheap and it just really left me with a sour taste in my mouth at the end of this movie. Well, actually, um, it's interesting as well because most films end with the, the main character returning to you know the, the the place where they're sort of familiar yeah. and like, having changed, you know? So at the start of the film, he didn't have May but he was a particular way. At the end of the film, he should have returned to the, what he was doing, but be different. Whereas he didn't return to what he was doing. He returned into the tank, and then he was like just living his memories with May. So he actually didn't return to his his setting having changed. Yeah. He just continued down the pathway of living in a fantasy. Um, yeah, yeah. He he went is, through no development 
Yeah, in any which is an interesting way, way to end a, a film, to be honest with you. And it didn't. Re- I didn't really feel satisfied walking out. I'll say that. No, I definitely didn't. Um, okay, well, so we're we're gonna we're gonna try something new here um, on 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 the best movie podcast ever, and we're going to. We haven't got sealed envelopes because this is an audio podcast as well as a as a video one, so it wouldn't work for us to hold up a pre seal a pre written down um, number or star. Indeed, so you're just gonna have to trust us. Um, but uh, Anthony, what would you give? this movie out of five and remember okay. half stars are for cowards yeah yeah so i'm gonna just just for the for the audience listening as well every week now if we do this when we connor and i haven't seen the film we'll do this because the idea is we wrote this down before we started yeah so because there's always a chance that we'll we'll convince each other that it's a better yeah. film than it actually is so or a worse one we... like that jazz yeah. singer bit that's a that's a star off as far as i <laughs> as far as yeah. i'm concerned so, so so I think we forgot to do it today, but I think next week we maybe will, men- if it's a new film for both of us, we'll mention in the intro, because the people who aren't listening to spoilers now, like this isn't the spoiler part, but maybe they'd like to hear this. So yeah. I'll timestamp it and then we'll make sure to mention it from now on. But anyway, my star rating for this, um, now it's interesting because I was talking to Conrad, I said out of 10, I gave it one thing, but then Conrad said, no, it has to be out of five. So I actually changed my score, even though it was divisible by two. <laughs> because this is not a three star film i gave it a two star okay uh, i gave it a two star i had it as a six out of ten which is really weird isn't it That's so like that is 10. so funny you said that because i gave it a three star but i would have had it as a six or out of ten as well like six six or a seven out of ten i was like mm, this is just about a three star film was my thinking but i gave it a two star um so interestingly i i, I that, that's actually really cool because after the conversation now the audience might be able to be like whoa actually from the conversation i thought anthony liked it better than conrad and you know who, yeah. who knows how it would go but no i had two star conrad had three I think star. interesting the the, uh, the the sentimentality of the relationship between the two and the world building were enough to keep me engaged but i think this movie if you start picking it apart the whole thing is it will fall apart it just there's this is so lightweight and mm-hmm. as we said before I, I i think i get the impression you agree with me anthony this is not doing anything that hasn't already been done better by by yeah. other other movies it really isn't um yeah for, for me to be honest with you it all came down to expectation and that's that's not that's not just me it's like if you're if you're making a film about memory and you're and you're advertising it, the idea of like you know uh, you can get addicted to the past, all this crap, you know, if you're advertising it that, that way, you have to know that the audience these days, having had so much great stuff in the past about it, are going to be expecting high things. Yeah, and it just it just didn't live up to it to me. But they were trying the complexity, as we said, it just didn't really work. Yeah, yeah, they were, and and you know, Lisa Joy, I, I, I hopefully this movie does okay and she gets another crack at it because there's promising stuff here. Apparently, um, it's bombed. Oh really? Well, yeah. I hope she never makes anything ever again, and she's driven out of Hollywood. Um, that is going to lead us very naturally, as it always does, to answering one simple question, and that is, Anthony, what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie is The Boys from County Hell. I have no idea what that movie is. That is a. I went to see it in the cinema last week. Uh, it is a Northern Irish-made film. Oh, uh, a horror film about vampires uh, and it was really really good quality uh for for being northern irish locally made and i really really enjoyed it ah highlight for hi- highlight for me was whenever the, they rang up the they rang up the police uh the psni yeah to uh to to uh, to ask them to go out into the streets and look for a dark figure they didn't want to say vampire because he wouldn't re- believe it so, 
look for a dark figure with dark skin. And he, and he said, no, we're a very inclusive town here. I'll have all that. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. That sounds great. I need to look that up. That's, uh, yeah. I, I, I've not, I don't know if I've ever seen a Northern Irish movie. I've certainly not. Uh, there's, there's only a few, like Northern Irish made from Northern Irish talent. Like there's a lot of films made in Northern Ireland. Yeah, and about Northern Ireland as well. But uh... yeah, so this is uh, yes, exactly. But this is uh, the reason why I love this film is because, and we're getting a lot of young filmmakers making films in Northern Ireland these days, which are not focusing on the troubles. Mm. And that is what I've been calling out for for so long. Like it's all right to make one or two and like re- reflect on the past, but we need to have like this, Northern Ireland is more yeah. than just its troubled. You past, don't want to just you know? be de- yeah defined by that brief period. In, in 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 your history as as, as yeah. you know important as it was um not so brief but yes you don't want to be defined by it no as i guess it's not that brief in the grand scheme of things <laughs> uh okay my favorite movie is chinatown it does pretty much everything that this movie does but a million times better um <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you to nancy wyatt and jared iscariot for the use of our theme song you can find links to their stuff down in the description below Uh, and thank you to you for joining us please consider subscribing we are the best movie podcast ever on podcasting apps and with a culture cave on youtube Uh, please consider getting involved in the comments letting us know what you've seen giving the show a like it does really help and we will see you same time same place next week and cut